0: Welcome listeners, I'm Christy Herrera, the President and CEO of Associated Builders and Contractors of Utah. And we want to give a big warm welcome to our members and all listeners of Constructive Conversations, the podcast for Utah's construction industry. Our aim is to provide our audience with a conduit of information sharing and encourage the development of our industry and like-minded people. Associated Builders and Contractors is a national construction trade association representing more than 21,000 member companies. Based on the Merit Shop philosophy, we help our members develop people, win work, and deliver that work safely, ethically, and profitably for the betterment of the communities in which they work. On Constructive Conversations, we'll explore people, politics, policy, economics, leadership, and anything and everything in between pertaining to how it develops our industry. Our goal is to provide valuable and intelligent insight into Utah's construction industry and the many, many pieces that make up our industry. So, before we get started with our guests, I have to thank our 2021 ABC Annual Diamond sponsors. Without them, we could not do what we do. And we want to begin with RO Construction, CAP Construction, Sink Constructors. Makers Line, Big D Construction, and Whitaker Construction Companies. So a big shout out and thank you to all of our Diamond sponsors for this year. Okay, so we begin 2021 with our conversation with our current and 2021 Chairman of the Board, Mr. Tim Gladwell. Welcome, Tim.
1: Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here.
0: Tim is a Vice President at RO Construction, and RO Construction has a Forty year anniversary this year? Wait,
1: no forty years last year. Last so we're year? going into our forty first year.
0: Okay. So yeah, I've been okay. around for a while. Good. And how long have you been there?
1: Oh, I've been with RNO for thirty years now. Wow. Going on the thirty-first this year, so a long time.
0: Good. So as, as we get on into our into our conversation, we want to hear about your career path with within the industry and R construction. So a little bit of background for our listeners um, on Mr. Gladwell. He currently is serving his second term on the ABC Board of Directors, and he is finishing up his second term as chairman of the board. Um, He was gracious enough to accept the appointment to move on to the executive committee. And kind of a funny story, Tim, I don't know if you remember this, but when when the executive committee had identified that they wanted Tim we wanted Tim to move up to the executive committee. I called him on the phone and Tim was traveling. Do you remember this? Uh-huh. And I asked him, you know, would you would you consider accepting the appointment and moving up to the executive committee and he says, I, "I like that idea. Yes, I will do it." And then later the next week when I called him, he said, "Is that what you asked me? I thought you asked me if I liked wine or something <laughs> <Yeah>. so." <laughs> it's
1: exactly what took place. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess that's a problem with road noise, right? Yeah, a lot of <laughs> travel
0: noise back there. So, we appreciate your commitment, though, Tim. It's it's leadership like you, and the leadership that your company provides the industry that makes Utah's construction industry so outstanding. Thank you. Tim also serves on the ABC National Board of Directors, um, representing the Utah construction industry as well as the regional construction industry. And he has a long career in construction, as he just told us, over 30 years. So talk to us about your chosen career path, and how did you get started in the field?
1: Well, that takes you back to high school. I actually was uh, working at Powder Mountain, and uh, drove by one day to uh, pass a project that Orle Opikins, which was Opikins and Company at the time, was working on. And I saw my uh, friend of mine's vehicle in there, and I thought, well, I'll stop and see what he's doing. And they were demoing what now is our office, demoing the front part, and so I said, hey, Chet, Chet O'Pikins. I said, hey, Chet, I'd love to come to work. And he said, well, go see my dad, which is Orliffe Pikins, the chairman of the board for Orono. And at, at the time, like I say, we had Opikins and Orono. Opikins did the residential. And so I went up to Warliff's house and uh, said, knocked on the door and said, I'd like a job. And he says, well, you can work till the work's done. And we have this joke today that I guess the work's not done. It's 30 years later. but. Anyway, as time went on, I ultimately never anticipated being in this industry. I wanted to be an attorney, kind of follow after my dad. And I was going to school, and Slade O'Pykins, who's now the president of R&O, became, we became really good friends. We were going to school together. And he went to construction management program down at BYU, because that was the only one they had at the time.
0: And oh, were you still working at r and when you?
1: We, we were both working for Pike Well, R&O, okay. quasi. At the time, they hadn't merged, so we worked for both. And I was actually doing the residential and he left and went to school. And so he had been down to school for about a year and a half. And the plan was that I would just follow him down there after he was done and then I would get my construction management degree and, and Orlefin and Check came and sat in my or Orloff and Slate came and sat in my office one day and said, Hey, you're learning more working than I'm learning down, you know, looking at books at BYU don't don't go down there just stay here you've already got the job you're a project manager for us you have opportunity here just stay with us and i said well that's fine but i would like to finish school so i, I went ahead and finished in i so I was my major at the time was criminal justice with the law emphasis and so i finished with business and uh, minor in computers and so i got my diploma and
0: from weaver state
1: from Weber state yep yeah. just weber as they say but weaver state university
0: at least it wasn't Weber Academy because it right. would really date you yeah, right
1: <laughs> well, it was weber Co- state college when I started, so
0: <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> it dates me somewhat um, but anyway, then just continued on and and for probably three or four years after I graduated i I did the residential stuff still and and Lynn Wright, who was over our you know r and o construction at the time, it was someone I always wanted to work with. He just you know was someone you just felt good being around and knew he had, knew so much and so in ninety five r and o and merged to be r and o construction, and I made it pretty clear at the time that I wanted to work with Lynn in the commercial side of business, so he took me under his wing in ninety six and that's kind of history
0: so the merge was residential and commercial together
1: yeah, it was more I mean we didn't do a lot of residential Orloff kind of had his own projects and still continues to do that he He loves to dabble in you know subdivisions and residential but we just felt like it was better to focus on you know R&O and where our where we were going and turn that ship to wherever that may be and obviously this is back when the company was a 9 million dollar a year company so that was kind of the thought is let's kind of bring all our forces together I mean, we had double accounting you know double business development so we just kind of brought everything together and uh, and then, like I say, I ultimately moved over with Lynn into the commercial side. And, and within about five years or, well, it probably was about 10 years, our residential Orlif actually pulled out of Orono and has done his own thing with it since. And then when Lynn decided to retire 2003, Slade took over as the operations manager of Orono Construction. And we'd grown a lot by then. We were, you know, a $40 million company. And so he decided. About a year into that, Slade decided to bring me in as over operations of retail, vice president of operations, and then Riggs Mpedry over our commercial division.
0: So you were still in the field up to that point?
1: Uh, no, I was back. I was in the office. Okay. All the way back in '96, I was okay. a I, I was a project, project manager, manager. Sorry. Okay. Okay. So I did all. You know, was a project manager. Did a lot of projects. Made a lot of uh, great relationships with clients and owners and matter of fact I did a lot of work for Home Depot and was even offered to work for them three times and felt like I had a better opportunity in Utah when I traveled all over doing work for them and honestly when you travel you realize we got a pretty good place we live in and uh, you got it all right Right, here within minutes I mean Denver's awesome I would move to Denver but the mountains are forever away to go skiing but the downtown nightlife and the food and the sports is incredible but I just, you know, family something, right, and you want to stay by it, so I always stayed. And uh, so here we are today, you know. After and the rest is history. The rest is history, kind of.
0: What type of advice would you give somebody looking to enter into the industry?
1: You know, I've thought a lot about that because I don't know that you just necessarily have to come in through the construction management program's huge now, right? That's how kids get in and, and can actually get in, and project engineers where they want to start, which does give them a foot up to get them into, I guess I would look at that as if you want to be in management versus if you want to be a a superintendent out in the field. But in today's world, at least for a general contractor, the superintendent has a 72-degree office. You know, he's just out, he's the guy that gets it done, and I think there's more satisfaction as a superintendent because you actually watch it start from the dirt to when you walk away with the roof on it. But I would say just start, you know, getting involved with companies, whether it's a framer, you know, whatever it may be, and see if you like it and enjoy it. I mean, I did all that. I got to give Orloff credit. We did footings, foundation, uh, framing, finish work, it all. I knew it all, and it saved me a lot of money building my houses too. So, but yeah, I would start if that's you know your desire. Go go work with someone. Go see how you like it, and and maybe being a carpenter is not it. And you go do HVAC or electrical, and you know start at the bottom and decide if you like it. And if you do, pursue it and go to schooling and, and move forward from there.
0: Yeah, the nice thing about the industry is there there's several different career paths that can be taken, either in the in the skilled trades or up into management and, yeah.
1: Yeah, and well, and we need the skilled trades, as you know, and, and my son, who, my youngest son, is in HVAC, and, and he started, you know, just as a laborer, packing stuff out of the trailer, and now he's actually doing piece rate right on his own and, and makes really good money and enjoys it. I mean... You know, we all have our days in everything we do. If it's really cold, he doesn't like it. But if if it's a really difficult day in the office, to make a him. decision. It's hard too. Yeah. yeah. So it's been great for him. Um, I guess all my kids have followed. Preston's gone through construction management. My second oldest, but he opened. He started his own business, and that's he wants to hopefully eventually do. You know, just small commercial and. And that's where we want to be. I mean, you, you grow as you, you create relationships and do good things, right? So,
0: And one of them has gone through a young professionals program. Yeah,
1: Preston did. Okay. Yeah. And he really enjoyed that. And okay. that's a great program that we have.
0: Good, good. Um, has construction changed much in 20 years?
1: <laughs> 30 years. You know, funny, you, were, you I was thinking that when I was reading some of this stuff last night at I actually wish I would have stayed in the field longer because back then it was true craftsmen. You know, you had the true carpenters and the true electric. I'm not saying electricians and that aren't good today, but that was their, you know, trade. That's what they did, and they they did it well. And to talk to some of those people about you know what they did and why they did it, and in, in carving wood and doors and moldings and. It, it was impressive it's an, and art. It, it's it was an, an art it's an art it was an art and we've lost some of that and just by technology we've lost some of that it's not just because we're not as good anymore it's just you know technology and advancements have made we can make anything out of wood in a factory where before we had to you know make it on the job site same with electrical it's all together all we're doing is pulling wire to it now so yeah the, I, I wish i would have stayed there longer and just learned a little more of what that is i I actually tell this story many times to the young kids the first home depot i was doing i was driving up the road i was actually driving from denver colorado to cheyenne and that's where we had the home depot the home depot rep called me and that's when you had the old flip phones you know your hold notes about that big and you're trying to hold it to your face and he says oh how are things you know what's the schedule and uh, he says when are you going to start dry fall what when are you going to start dry fall I don't, what what are you talking about? He says, when are you going to paint the ceiling? And that's dry fall. And and so I tell these young kids, I said, today you can pull up your phone and say dry fall. Oh, it's dry fall from the ceiling paint or VCT or FRP or all these acronyms that we had to learn on the go, you know, in meetings and things. These guys can do it as they're sitting in me and go. now I know what they're talking about. Where before we're all writing it down to go back to the office to look up what that acronym was, right?
0: And sometimes it makes things easier and sometimes the outcome isn't so the best outcome right yeah agreed yeah
1: you didn't have to do the work to get there right
0: okay we're going to jump into some little introduction questions our listeners always like to get a feel for who they're listening to so the first question I have for you is what's the last book you read and what was your takeaway
1: so the last book I read was can't hurt me by David Goggins and I don't, have you read it I have not so he had a broken childhood and um Got into drugs and, and alcohol, and you know struggled through those days in his life. And someone finally told him, "Hey, you ought to join the military. That's probably the only way. Probably a judge. You know, this is the only way we're going to get you straight." So he went to the recruiter, and um, you know, there's a backstory too. But just to make it quick, he went to the recruiter, and the recruiter said, "You know, with your history and everything, you'll never get in." And there was a picture on the wall of a colonel that actually was a friend of his dad when they were younger. And he said, "Well, he'll vouch for me." And he tells the story of, of uh, you know, when they were at a sleepover when they were really young, and everybody else snuck out of the house besides this, you know, David Goggins. And so the colonel always respected him for that. And so anyway, they called the colonel, and the colonel said, "Yeah, I'll put my name on," which is huge, you know. I mean, that's sometimes right. we do that and wish we didn't, right? And so that's kind of the start of a story into his military career. And then he fells out of the seals oh two or three times, and and always continues to have that drug pull, which reminds me of what the young kids deal with now. I mean, it's such a prevalent thing that our kids are dealing with and have to continue to deal with. But he talks about that demon and and going back to the demon. But ultimately, power of the mind, he starts running ultra marathons. And an interesting thing with this book, he never really wins anything, but it's talking about the power of your mind. And if you put yourself, your mind to something and you really let it focus and go there and continue to push it that way, you're going to succeed and it's just an incredible, you know, self-help books I think are great for all of us, but that one's really, really been a a good one for me to imagine what you start at nothing and you get to this in your life. Yeah.
0: Less than nothing. If you're fighting demons. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, So you, you're a reader. My next question kind of transitions into the next question, which is what value do you see coming out of social media?
1: Well, until this last year i'd say yeah there's a value i you, you know i don't this whole fake news propaganda now but uh, yes i mean it's going to be there forever you know when it first came out obviously those were that's how you make connections with people you hadn't seen for a long time it was kind of fun to see hey i haven't talked to this guy for 15 or 20 years and how's his family doing and and then we started getting all this you know just pushing pushing agendas and And I think it will always be there. It's how it's used. It's how people look at it. You know, I've really tried to filter mine down to what matters. You know, my family, people around here. And you try to get rid of all those Mm pop-ups. But it's going to be there. On the other hand, you know, you can ask questions on there that are required for the industry. Hey, I'm dealing with this. Have you dealt with this before? And you can get answers. I mean, bigger than anything in social media is YouTube. You know, if you want to fix something on your car... Which I it, use, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. can pull it up and say, look, I, I need to replace this belt on my Polaris. I've never done it before. In 20 minutes, you've got it fixed. Yeah. So there, it's there is a value to technology in general. It'll be interesting what those, you know, the Facebooks and Twitters and Instagrams become in the future and how they're used other than, uh, you know, just making contact with people.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you in the sense that it, it is good for some usage, but what I see especially in the younger generation, is that the art of communication is disappearing because you can say anything to anybody behind a phone screen.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, some of them don't even know how to, how to look you in the eye when you're talking to them. Um, so that's, that's what I worry about with all that social media and Twitter and LinkedIn is that the, the art of communication and the one-on-one interaction is going away.
1: Well, you, yeah, you, you go anywhere you go. Kids have their, you know, you, they don't look up. They're like this, and I, you know, I have a policy at dinner that they stack them on the table. It happens about half the time. I'm going to be honest, but at least there's the thought of you're right, Dad. I should set that down, because not only is it social media text, text is huge. Text is That's the same no way one talks you know. on the phone yeah. anymore. I mean, even in our field, you know, Neil Broadbent, who is an older gentleman. I don't mean to drop names if people don't know, him, but Neil's one of our older PMS. And we have a younger soup that's working with him. he's like, Tim, he doesn't call me. He texts me. And that's the only way we communicate. And and it's still communication, right? But it's not the way. It's so much easier to pick up the phone and get the message of what really is going on. Don't just tell me we got a problem.
0: It's communication, but it's also a challenging form of communication because what you might text to somebody, they can read between the lines and they may get a different connotation of what you intended. You know, they read between the lines or you use the wrong words and, you know, just the usage of one word can change the whole context of the message. Yeah.
1: Well, and, you know, talking about the professional side, we've had some lawsuits where they've gone back to people that are involved and look, they wanted to get all their Twitter, all their Instagram, anything they've ever posted, which they can go get if they put it to the cloud. And then those messages, whether professional or not, are on there. And you know what attorneys do, they take three words out of a, a message and they spin it the way they want to spin it. So professionally, you better be very careful how you use yeah. that.
0: And I've told my son that, you know, he's that age group. And I'm like, anything you post is there with you forever. So
1: Well, the caveat to that is just don't back it up on your, your uh, the cloud. Because if you don't have it, if you've deleted it and it's not on the cloud, they can't get the information. So at least subpoena the information. So just something to know.
0: <laughs> Louie's over there laughing because I don't, I don't even understand the cloud. <laughs> so all my stuff is probably somewhere on the cloud. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, mine's not, by the way. Mine goes all to my computer. Everything connects back. I, if I didn't back it up to my computer and I lost my phone, I would lose everything.
0: Yeah. Because I, I
1: don't want it on the cloud. Yeah. So I do have some pictures on the cloud because I just have so many. But I'm not worried about pictures.
0: Well, that's good. That says a lot about your character. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, what magazines do you subscribe to, and why?
1: Well, obviously, I, all the industry publications to just to keep up on what's going on around along here and nationally. The mm-hmm. ENR, mm-hmm. yeah, ENR.
0: Engineering uh, News Record. Right.
1: Um, you know, material pricing increases. Uh, what materials aren't being produced or shortages of it it's and it's nice because for example the utah construction and design magazine just came out with a great article about woodbury corporation and we do a lot of work for them and it's it's good to see them get that you know notoriety in this in the community of what you've done for us over the years because they've been around for a long time right but um you know i just think you have to keep up in your industry or you're going to fall behind and then for fun, I, I take the skiing and boating magazine because okay. I love to ski, and then you boat on the ski. The water, you know, the snow that melts, you boat on. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's just kind of to, to take a break when you get home and, hey, th- buy some new skis or look what's going on on this sure.
0: mountain. Um, and you're also a pheasant hunter, right? uh uh-huh. Because your pheasant hunt always interferes with our national board meeting. Right. right exactly.
1: <laughs> I think they plan it. we got to start talking to them about that now. Yeah. But what <laughs> are you
0: thinking, people? So, are you an avid hunter, or you, is that pheasant just your, your... Yeah,
1: just pheasant. Um, I've never been a big game hunter. I've just never been something that I wanted to do. And uh, used to I'd go duck hunting a little bit. And then, um, you know, about eight years ago, I really got into pheasant hunting and have been doing that since.
0: What's a crazy but truthful thing about you?
1: So I won't say it's crazy, but I, I most people wouldn't know that I have a pretty sensitive side, and I'm. I can uh, get uh, water in my eyes pretty easy, especially when it comes to well, sad movies, love movies, and my kids. And I I try not to, but my kids will even laugh. My one son's getting married this fall, and he says, "Dad, are you speaking?" I said, "Of course I'm going to speak the dinner. I mean, I'm paying for it." And he says, "Yeah, but you'll cry." And I said, "I won't cry." And you know, we're at dinner, and the whole family laughs. I'm like, "Oh yeah, you're right, I will." But I you know I don't know why. It's over, I guess. God decided, well, you were kind of a butthead when you were younger, so let's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so people do change. Yeah.
1: So I don't do anything really crazy anymore, luckily. <laughs> that but is a crazy thing I about did.
0: you, though. Yeah, I didn't know that. What are you curious about right now?
1: I mean, obviously, what's going on in the politics is, you know, and what the, how that will affect us all. And I, honestly, I'm more curious about how our kids and the future kids will be able to afford housing. And, and I mean the cost of housing has gone out of sight and you know we're trying to do some things to eliminate that as far as multifamily and basement you know mother-in-law ba- apartments and things like that get but some
0: zoning change zoning and
1: changes and I think they have to continue that but I really worry about how people will find housing it's
0: um, and then on top of all that we're seeing some behavioral trends with COVID about people looking to we have a, we have some urban flight patterns taking place people want to get out more into the suburbs and buy a house where they have more room around them um, so we're going to see I think we're going to see some fallback although you know residential is booming but that only creates more of a, a single family resident shortage and
1: well and, I mean that's you look at what they're paying downtown for you know apartments that we're building are you know $1, 14 1600 bucks a month and You know there was a time you'd go back a few years when we were building some ikeas and and also at the same time we were doing crate and barrels so obviously you're dealing with the throwaway you know build it and throw it away tomorrow and then you know someone that wants to buy a couch and they're going to own it and and hand it off to their grandkids so i was talking to the crate and barrel guy about it and he said we build art you know and that's what we it's something that you or i will buy because we you know we love that and we're going to pass that couch along where these kids just want throwaway because in six months, they may say, you know, I don't like living in downtown Salt Lake. I'm going to go to Provo. So I'm going to leave this stuff or break down the shoe racks and just throw it away, and I can buy it again as I drive by Ikea. So, you know, you kind of got that new millennial group of people that they don't want to mow along. They don't want to have all that. They, they just, want a mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. Just give me I'll rent, and when I, I decide I want to leave, I leave.
0: Yep. So, so Yeah. We'll probably see more of that now with with technology, you know, taking control of everything. And it's just that lifestyle. It's transit. They can work from home. They can, you know, their headquarters might be in San Francisco, but their home is in Utah, and they're working from their home. And that's also that transit-type right. mentality. So, right. Okay, let's move into some discussion topics. Um, so as the chairman of the board of ABC for 2021, speak to us a little bit about your crusade or about what you want to get done um, as chairman of ABC in 2021, and why? Why is this topic so important to you?
1: You know, I st- I think still kind of continuing on with what Rick Higgins had. I, I think we need to provide value to the members. We've done a such ju- g- such a good job with the the staff of ABC with this new training program, which is a huge value. And I you know getting that out there to the whole association and letting them know, I'm sure we've done. And, but if they realize what it's doing, like the young professionals, I don't think they realize what we're actually providing in some ways and and getting that out there in a better format would be good. Um, But the value to the members, you know, we're only as good as our members. And I think we need to continue to have COVID aside, activities and events that bring us together, you know, social events and things that we can show the value because we have it now. Especially with the, the, like I say, with the trainings we never had before, we basically had a golf tournament. You know, we, you know how what it was. It was a few events, and now we have something to give that's tangible to say your employees can learn from this. So I think just continuing to provide that value is, is one of them. The other one we've got to continue to have a seat on on the hill in politics, and we've done a great job of doing that in the last couple of years. And then it, you know, as you know, we invested a fair amount of money the board decided to with some lobbyists this year to watch out for our interest and i think that's awesome and we need to continue that because if we don't you know we're not going to have a seat we're not going to have a voice and our members won't get value
0: well and that's abc doing what abc is supposed to be doing that was the founding tenant of, of abc back in the 1950s when they were formed so we hope to take you know a, a bigger seat at the table and and support the industry so thanks for that Speaking of getting people engaged in ABC, you know, ABC National takes surveys every other year, and we take a look at that data. What we've learned is that, you know, ABC members, members that have more than four friends stay three years. When they have more than 10 10 friends, they stay 15 years. Anything higher than 10 friends are lifetime committed members. So our challenge has been during COVID is to get people together and to network and to engage and speaking of COVID, i know that's the big elephant in the room and i know especially tim as chairman of the board is interested in moving forward and away from COVID and not focusing on COVID. true but it's the elephant in the room so i'm going to ask the one question and then we'll move off i'm going to share some stats with you and the listeners um, on construction spending now this is a nationwide picture and then i'd like to get your thoughts on the construction industry in utah or or regional because i know you guys are regional builders Non-residential construction spending fell 0.6% in November of 2020. 10 of the 16 residential subcategories saw a decrease in spending on a monthly basis. Hospitality being the biggest subcategory, they really took a hit. Um, The data is showing that there's a decline of 27% of hospitality projects than there was a year ago. So a 27% decline in a year in hospitality. And, of course, if you look at the dynamics of that subsector, it's all tied to COVID. There's the loss of business travel. So, the you know, there's less hotels that need to be built for business travels, less convention centers, less people are traveling. Private non-residential spending fell 0.8%, while public non-residential spending fell 0.2% in the month of November. Non-residential spending is down 9.5% percent since November of 2019. So as we move out of the year of COVID and into 2021 beyond COVID, what are your thoughts on the year of COVID and how it affected the construction industry and how do you see us moving forward?
1: Well, uh, you know, as you know, when it, we first went into the shutdown, I don't think any of us knew what was going to happen. And we, we really were lucky in Utah and probably in the West compared to back East where they completely shut down all construction, right. all everything. And right. and luckily through ABC National and you and ABC Utah and others, you know, we were able to get deemed essential and we never shut down. And I remember driving the first couple months there from, I was we were doing a couple of projects down here by the airport and it was... It was eerie you know how empty it was and you just don't know what to think right we were all processing and in our own lives and then in business how this is going to work and i think we all i mean you look back to march and and we've got a a president saying by easter we're going to be open and i think we all somewhat believe that may happen and here we sit in you know january of 2021 and at least we have a vaccine it's going to take a while to get put out there but I don't even know how to describe what we went through. I mean, and and I think we're still all processing that and probably will take some time to do that. But the good thing is we, industry especially, let me start there. I was amazed how the bigger general contractors came together and shared what they were doing and how we were keeping employees safe and how we could continue to work and not shut down and make sure we don't get it on our job sites. I mean, you know, obviously we had the airport going on at the time and... But the Oaklands, the Big D's, the Ornos, the you know, the whoever else it may be, were sharing information, collaborating, which usually doesn't happen because somewhat you're you know, you're in competition all the time. And that was awesome to see that
0: we it would stop and a, it do it. It was that. a thing of beauty. Yeah. The the industry responded so quickly.
1: Yeah, and I think we probably responded better than anybody.
0: Within weeks. Yes.
1: And what ABC National, I mean the, the Zoom meetings, go to meetings and bring in updates was incredible because it you know you can easily go into a deep funk right of this is just over we're done we're never going to get out of this which i had at a point and i think we all did and you finally realize you just got to have a good attitude and look forward that things will get better because they surely can't get worse right (laughs) unless we have another war or something but you know i mean as far as COVID or or
0: another election cycle or or
1: another (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's been a fun one this year too but um I think as we move out of 20 and get into 21, you know, people are looking for that, what that end game is. I, I do notice, I think a lot of people wanted, I've been to job sites in the last couple of weeks where it was almost like, okay, when the midnight hits and we're in 21, that's all behind us. And it's not, so there's kind of a hangover of COVID. And, uh, you know, people are just kind of, there's just not a lot of things to be excited about. And that's what we need to do is get back excited that, hey, we can travel, this will get better. We're gonna, you know, life's gonna go on and and we're gonna be fine as an industry, which I think we will for, for some time. I mean, you talked on uh, hospitality. Yeah, I don't know what's gonna happen there, apartments, you know, but the other shift is all the industrial and the tilt buildings for Amazons. And the, I mean, the, the, I don't think we'll ever go back to where we aren't buying a lot of things on you know online right, right and and which the service is great what it affects is the brick and mortar and and especially the mom and pop which you know bothers all of us but it's just a shift in in where the the nation's going i mean it was going that way anyway this just forced it a little faster through there but i do think 2021 20, is regarding COVID is going to be much better it,
0: and i think we're fortunate here in the state of utah because uh, former governor herbert now um, his economic task force, when this virus hit, put together a Utah Leads Plan. And in it, they developed a 100-day response and a 250-day response. And we're now at the recovery phase. We have now moved out of the stabilization phase and we're in the recovery. And they have a plan for the economic recovery of Utah. And construction is included in that because, of course, you know, we're such a driver and pillar of the economic growth and sustainability. so. Like you said before, we're fortunate here in the way it rolled out in Utah, even though it was devastating and it was a pandemic and it was, you know, something like we have never seen before. But I do have counterparts back on the East Coast and, in, you know, mid-America and up in Portland and their construction is completely shut down, mm-hmm. completely shut down. So we are fortunate in Utah, and
1: we are. And, and you know, even you go back to the last two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. We kind of lived in a bubble back then, mm-hmm. because I do think we're very conservative. We plan for the rainy day. Um, we have, you know, we have good leaders in place that look and say, where, how do we adjust if things change? And and that's what you have to do as a company too. But uh, you know, we have that office in Vegas. You mentioned um, I was down there just two days, or the last two days, and. It's still really depressing down there. Yeah, they're building, but the economy down there is fed by hospitality, sixty percent of it. So when you're, you know, going to bed at night and you look out on the strip and there isn't cars, and there isn't restaurants open, at some point it's going to really affect. It's got to affect everything, it's about
0: right? Catch up, right?
1: And what are they building down there? Multi-family. is huge. It's just growth because people are coming from California. You know, they want out. They want to get away from all of that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, I feel good that 2021 will be okay. I, we just, I, obviously, the the caveat to that is is Washington right. and what happens in Washington. And I think in Utah, we'll be okay through 21. 22 may be a different story.
0: Yeah, and it all drives down to policy per state, you know. Um, the fiscal policies that Utah practices, you know, we have a triple A bond rating. So that's part of the recovery plan is it the state, if we choose to move down that path, can bond. Right. So um, we have been fortunate in the state of Utah.
1: Well, and unfortunately, a lot of states look to the federal government to, to bail them out or to direct them. And, and that's not what it was ever intended to be. That, that, that's what they are, is the federal government. That's, we should be managed by our governor in the state. Each state should be that way. But you have states that have gotten in debt that need the help of the federal government. And bigger government is never good as we all know. And I think that's we're about what we're ready to see, unfortunately.
0: I read an interesting article last week in a publication called The Epic Times and the whole the whole article was about self sufficiency, that, that that was the American way and the American tradition and, and what happened and, and you know, why are states not taking on the personal responsibility of their own state policy and their own state fiscal performance and we've come a long way in a short amount of time. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so as it pertains to our industry, define professionalism.
1: Uh, my definition, honestly, is do what you say you're going to do. Make, follow through with your commitments. And if you allow people, give them opportunities and allow them to follow whatever process they want, but follow up and ensure it's done. Because we're not right all the time. You know, what I would do is not right for maybe what John would do. And you got to give them those opportunities to grow, but to follow up with them. But the word, your word, is you know, in my opinion, is impeccable. And if if you follow through with your commitments, you'll always be a leader in someone's eyes.
0: Good definition. Um, as it pertains to our industry, define ethics. Is that the same thing as professionalism? Would you define that as the same in that same arena?
1: It is, but I think you go to that. It's uh, honesty and integrity and character. That's ethics, and if you put those three together, and you read the definition, and you follow them, then you are ethical. And, and, and most people in Utah are, but it's it's difficult when you deal. I go back in time when I, you you trusted, I trusted a developer, and it, I got stung severely, and it cost Arno a fair amount of money. Well, he wasn't ethical. He wasn't honest. He had no integrity, and so that's why I've always put those three together. And uh, you know, obviously, you learn a lot as right. you grow right. through those things hopefully <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> you get bit hopefully you're learning something um traditionally democratic administrations it means more regulation on small business which you know obviously is the construction the majority of the construction industry here in utah what do you foresee with the biden um administration in terms of overburden regulation how is a biden administration going to affect the construction industry
1: well, I think they'll affect it a lot, especially if they, you know, force the pro-union Davis-Bacon uh, regulations. Um, the, the worst thing you can have, you know, we need OSHA and we need EPA. I think that all those things are needed, but give us a guideline and let that each company decide how they fit inside that guideline. Don't write me the directions because that's where we get in trouble. Is Then you've got a, you know, an OSHA officer saying, well, we wrote it this way and you stepped outside of it six inches, so we're going to fine you. Let us do our job. And, and the less regulations, the better, right? I mean, we've always believed that. But we all care about safety. We right. all want everybody to go home right. safe at night. We all care about the environment and making sure that it's there for the future. But let us give us the guideline and let us work inside that guideline. Taxation is what I worry about, too, is it won't be uh, business friendly. Um, I think they're going to be looking for the deep pockets and how we can take that money from them. And so I think that's a concern on how that affects one construction costs and profitability and you know because of that do we lose jobs so democratic I guess regulations that could very easily be put in place are concerning to me
0: both in the private sector and the public sector both right yeah right
1: I mean I don't know what our tax rate will be in the private sector personally but I'm sure it'll be if we've given money to everybody you can't just continue to do that and I don't you can't just blame the Democrats for that that's just part of COVID too but they continue to drive. We take it from you and give it to them. And we can't do that. That's not, it's how not it, sustainable. I say, absolutely. For sure.
0: Um, so we have a tremendous amount of projected growth for Utah in the next two decades. I think the number is up to a million people. Now, this is pre-COVID. Up to a million people will, will move into the Wasatch Front area by 2040, 2050. How do you see the industry responding to that projected growth, and how do we keep up? We, we know we all have a workforce shortage.
1: Well, I think, yeah, that's probably the biggest concern. I mean, the first part of that, I think you're already seeing developers, and, and if you've driven around, if you can shoehorn an apartment complex in somewhere, they are. You know, I mean, The vac-
0: footprints are so small. Yeah, and
1: the vacant lands that I never thought they'd put anything on, all of a sudden there's an apartment. And multi-family, you know, apartments and multi-family are kind of the key word right now, and I think they'll continue to be because you just don't have the land, you know, that to build the single-family homes. I mean, everything's west. We're down by Provo. We're landlocked by the mountains and a lake. So we've got to do that. I think we've got to look at uh, revitalization of developments that have been sitting. We, we have to do that. And whether that has a retail component or it's just all a mixed use, you know, with some office and retail and, and housing, I think that's the way we we're going to have to approach it. And there's a lot of those sitting around as, as you drive around. And we're going to have to backfill those. The problem is they're expensive and they come with issues. And that's why developers aren't excited about it. So some tax incentives for those type of properties would be awesome. I don't know what we're going to do about the workforce. I, I think if, you know, and I'll talk about my own kids, they they were willing to work. And so they're willing to be involved and, in, in, you know, get in the HVAC and construction, as I, I mentioned. And it might be something because I'm in it too, and they just, you know, hey, dad's done good in it. I want to be in that business. But I think if you can get them in, and that's the key that we need to figure out is how do you get them in to at least start feeling it and saying, look, I'm successful because I put that piece of ductwork in or I hung that door because you do get a sense of pride and and that was where I starting from the very beginning I remember the first house I built sitting outside it thinking that's pretty cool you know it was just a piece of dirt and now here it's done and if you can get that pride in them kids will work you just got to get them into it I think what a lot of people do and we do it too I'm guilty of they just want to sit you know behind a computer and punch you know the keyboard no, there's still a lot out there that want to work, and we just need to figure out how to get them into the, the industry.
0: And traditionally, construction has never been marketed or portrayed as sexy, like technology and you know other industries. So I think we're changing that perception. Um, it certainly is a great way to, to move into an industry and learn while you earn, so to speak, with you know apprenticeship programs. And I know many of our companies here in the Utah industry are all about developing and training their people, both professionally and um, with a skill set. So we're fortunate in that way. There are some entities within the industry that have moved towards trying to solve the workforce shortage problem. Um, but we need to come together as an industry and engage um, education and leadership here in the state to fix the root of the problem. When I was in high school, and I'm not going to say when, just so I don't date myself, <laughs> but when I was in high school, there were you know shop programs, and the kids in the shop programs would actually go out and build homes. Those feeder programs are all gone. So it's no wonder we're in a workforce shortage here in the state, but that's not only really happening here. Obviously, it's national. So.
1: Yeah, it's a, the perception of the industry is, is something that we've improved on, like you say. I mean, my dad was a prosecutor in his early age, you know, and so when I first started in construction, I, I could tell he wasn't really excited that, you know, I got involved, and, and he says, well, here, look, I'll just tell you. If you sit in a, a, a criminal courtroom, almost every, you know, defendant that stands up it works in construction. That's what they say they do, and, uh, you know, and so I thought, well, that's an interesting way to state that, but it probably makes sense because there is a lot of us. And, you know, we have a lot of middle class, you know, blue color people that work for us, but it doesn't mean we're all criminals. And I think over time with the schooling and the technology, and I mean, I'm so impressed at some of the things we are doing with, uh, you know, casting cement with the machines that, you know, the oh, yeah. down Construction there. technology yeah. has come uh, such a long way. And it's like, holy crap. And some of these kids blow me away of what they're doing with, the Adolytes and different, you know, total stations, and we're not what we were back then when you had, you know, someone look through a scope, and there was the, raise it up two inches, you know, <laughs> but people probably don't look at it that way until they actually get involved, so per- perception of who we are oh, would yeah. be a big thing to sell.
0: Right, right, yeah. Perception is when you, parents, and high school counselors hear the word construction, they automatically say, uh, you know, somebody with standing in a ditch digging with a shovel. Right. Exactly. Or it's, you know, it's so sophisticated nowadays and so global. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So next question: What's the one common myth about our industry or your profession that you wanted to debunk? We might. We may have just addressed. Yeah, that. I think
1: we did. Yeah, yeah, perception of who we are.
0: Yeah. Please finish this sentence: With 2020 in our rearview mirror we all have the opportunity in 2021 to fill in the blank.
1: I honestly think we we had we just have to have a positive outlook. We have to kind of put what happened behind us, you know, just look forward like I said before that things can only get better, and that's the way you need to focus and look at things cuz that only helps in work and personal life. I mean, <laughs> I go home at night, you know, backing up in time my wife was watching news when this all started right and she was just you know it's like and I finally said turn it off I don't care what you do just turn it off and so since you know then she's turned it off But I, we've been watching the Hallmark Hallmark channel since <laughs> mid-November
0: well you told her to turn the news off.
1: well and I'm fine with it but I'm like how many times can you watch those Christmas shows <laughs> but guess what her attitude's better and and I, I think we just all have to look and say, you know what is coming to an end, whether it's June or March or even August for that matter, we do have a vaccine. We do have a, r- a way to get this done and put behind us and let's have a great attitude and move forward.
0: Right. Um, what does the voice of Merit Shop construction and free enterprise mean to you? And I know Tim, you, we talked about, this is your second term on ABC and is it gonna be more difficult
1: Oh, I think it'll be more difficult with <clears throat> with our Democratic Party and, you know, in the White House um, and what they try to drive with that. I, You know, we're pretty, like we've talked before in Utah, we're pretty isolated and we don't see it. Even though there's some push for that, you know, pretty much a free open market is still there. And um, even in Vegas, you know, if you stay off this trip, because we're down there, I only bring them up. It's interesting. We get a lot of bids from union subs and, and non-union, obviously, because we don't discriminate from either. We're going to take the best qualified bid. And we work with a lot of union subs. And I think a lot of that has to do with now is wages have come up so high on all ends that they're kind of at an equal playing field. You know, we don't, you don't have that framer that doesn't pay decent and doesn't have insurance. He has it now because that's the only way his guys stay there. So I think some of that helped us and will be a benefit in the long run with the wage discrepancy. But whatever the, you know, the push, I mean, I'll use a great example, which and maybe I shouldn't, but, but for 10 years, we tried to get in with the FCM. And it wasn't on the merit of our no, it wasn't on our ability. It was that we didn't have points from before from previous projects, and it was a point-rated system. And so we worked and worked and worked and finally convinced them that, look, Shortlisted. Let those that have the technical ability, the, the financial ability, get shortlisted. Then whoever is the qualified low, you award the job to. Two years later, we were the DFCM contractor of the year because they allowed that to happen.
0: And it's all about open competition, Yeah, right? and if we would have perform, never got in before there. Right.
1: And so, you know, th- those are just let good companies have opportunity. I mean, I you know, our guys will get upset when we don't get a bid, and, I, and I'll say to them, so... This is a client we've done a lot of work for that uses two or three generals to bid for him, and someone beat you. Well, if I was that client, I would use them too because I've qualified them and I gave you all an opportunity to bid the project. Why they were, had a better number, you know, that can be discussed, but still, that's, at least it was an open, free bid to right. go after. Right,
0: right. Based on your ability to perform. Ability to perform. To perform. Right. Um, what one question didn't I ask you? Is there something or some thought you'd like to share with our listeners that I didn't ask?
1: Yeah, you did ask one, or there was one on there that you didn't ask. So I'm going to say it. you said in a, a general contractor roundtable with subcontractors, what's the one question you would ask them? And mine was mine would be is what is your go/no goal, go goal process? And let me explain that. So obviously, over years you learn a lot of things, right? As a company, and and. What happens always is you have your business development guy that's been out working this job forever and, and finally a project comes in and you bid it because, hey, he finally got it in. It was the wrong client. It was the wrong project. It didn't fit in your wheelhouse and you lose money. So years ago, we established a go-no-go no go that basically they bring it in and as a group, you sit down and say, is it a client we've worked with? Is it in our wheelhouse? Is it in, uh, you know, is the dollar amount correct for what we're chasing right now? And, you know, what do they have financing? And we've thrown out some jobs that our BD has worked hard for that we didn't even go after, and they've been the best jobs we didn't get. So the sub should do the same thing. Even though I want to grow and grow and grow, I shouldn't start and do a $10,000 job and now I'm bidding a $300,000 job. It doesn't fit in my wheelhouse. So stop and give you that time to grow because you're going to get there. But if you do that, you'll be out of business too soon. You know, if you jump too soon. So that would be what I would say to them or okay. ask them.
0: Okay, good answer. Um, with that, it's a wrap. So I'd like to say thank you to Tim um, for taking the time to share his thoughts and his insights about the industry, about leadership, um, and thank him for his commitment to ABC and RNO's commitment to ABC and the Utah construction industry. So this year, I'm, I'm going to tie a quote. To each one of my guests at the end of the podcast and this is the quote that i see for you be humble be hungry and always be the hardest worker in the room do you know who said that
1: i do and i can't
0: so you heard that quote yeah dwayne the rock johnson awesome yes so
1: that's a great one
0: um my perception of you is that that's the quote i chose for you so thank you um as we wrap up our podcast today we want to do another shout out to our diamond sponsors Arno Construction, Cap Construction, Sink Constructors, Makers Line, Big D Construction, and Whitaker Construction. So thank you all. Out to our ABC members, or actually any member of the industry, if you require any assistance on any COVID-19 best practices, please visit our ABC Utah website and look for our COVID-19 repository. It's full of all kinds of resources and information for you to use. It has been a delight talking to Tim today and our next podcast guest for February is the Utah's newly elected Republican House member Burgess Owen so we'll be talking to Burgess Owen and it will be an interesting conversation to say the least because we want to He's going to have, I'm sure, some stories to share about his political experience, his short political experience back in Washington, D.C. because he's just getting started. So tune in for that conversation, and we want to thank our listeners. Um, Let us know what you want to talk about. You can find us on Constructive Conversations at anchor.fm forward slash ABC Utah on your PC, or your podcast apps on Apple, Google, and Spotify. So until next time, this is Chris DeHerrer with Constructive Conversations. Stay safe out there.